Good morning and welcome to our podcast for today, Chavches Adar. Today, again, we're going to do the same thing like yesterday. It's going to be a little bit on the Parsha, a little bit on Halachas of Pesach. There will be a Chumash section, a Mishnai section, and we'll end off again with the story. Enjoy. Have a great day. So what kind of animals are kosher for Korbanis? Hashem teaches Moshe Rabbeinu in the Parsha that there are certain categories, tzayin, bakar, and there are male animals, female animals that can be used, but not every animal that's kosher is going to be able to be used as a carbon. For example, a giraffe cannot be a carbon. Certain birds cannot be carbonous, only pigeons and not chickens, for example. Those were not ever used as carbonous. And one of the things that it brings down mentioning it over here because I see it in the little medrash says is it says that these animals are more tame they don't usually fight and that's a uh, a very beautiful lesson that we see even if they are attacked they don't necessarily fight back and it shows that a person should always be humble and he shouldn't respond if somebody even insults you you don't have to always say something back to them and if you do you definitely don't have to fight them back you're allowed to stick up for yourself but you don't have to make it into a fight Okay, when you choose a carbon, it says that a carbon has to, of course, be perfect, tamim, complete. They're not allowed to have any blemishes on it. We know that the person would look over their animal very carefully to make sure that it wouldn't have a mum. And there are different types of mumim. And if it has a mum, a animal cannot be brought on the mizbeach. From here, we also learn that when you do a mitzvah, you should make sure it's done in the most beautiful way. When a person builds a shul, he shouldn't try to do it in the cheapest way. On the contrary, he should try to do it in the nicest way because all the beauty in the world is meant to be used for the sake of Hashem. So we're going to talk about the halachas of Bedikas Chametz. Bedikas Chametz is done on the night before Pesach. And when we check for Bedikas Chametz, you should know a few things. First of all, you should check what time you're allowed to do Bedikas Chametz. Just like Friday night and Shabbos, we have... Uh, candle lighting time, you can go on Chabad.org to look for the actual time when you're allowed to do B'dikas Chametz. It has to be nighttime. It has to be dark when you do B'dikas Chametz. So look it up to find it out. If you look on Chabad.org, you will see the time. And this means that it needs to be done at Tzeis HaKechavim, when the stars come out, which in Los Angeles this year, it's going to be at approximately 7.45 p.m. And that is for, uh, it's going to be on a Tuesday night, Yud Gimel Nisan, that's the time to do B'dikas Chametz. Already for a half an hour before, already a half an hour before B'dikas Chametz, you should already not um, be doing any melacha. You shouldn't do any work. You shouldn't sit down. Anything that says that you shouldn't do before mincha, when it's time to dive in mincha, like eat a big meal, or even start a chavrusa, you're not supposed to do it. Unless you have a very, very clear reminder that somebody's going to remind you to do badikas chametz. We don't want to forget. When you do badikas chametz, you need to use a few things. We use a shaiva candle, a candle of beeswax. Nowadays, people actually use a, um, a flashlight. And the reason why they would use a beeswax candle and it specifically should be one with one uh, wick, not like a Havdalah candle, which has a lot of wicks, because if it does, then it becomes more of a torch. And then that's not Boitzkim or Haner, that's not set, uh, checking by the light of a candle. If you're checking with a torch, people would be afraid to put that underneath their pillows or, or blankets or checking under their beds. You have a big, gigantic torch, it could light Chas on a fire. So they use a small candle, and also the smaller the candle with the Shaiva licht, the candle that's beeswax, that has a very, very clear light, and you check, you check it at night, 
And you check in all kinds of cracks and all kinds of places. We're now going to do today's Pesukim, and that is Perak Yud in Parshas Boi, Sefer Shemois. And we are up to Pasuk Yud Dalid. The Arba now arrive. And yesterday we learned how they were carried on a wind the whole night, the Arba, the locusts, or grasshoppers, and they came in. By the morning time, the Arba was everywhere. And it was so thick that they actually covered the sky and they made it dark in Mitzrayim, almost like Cheshach, because they were like a cover over the whole world. They blocked out the sun. And then they descended onto everything and they ate everything. They ate all of the trees, all of the vegetation, all of the grass, anything that was left over from the Barad, nothing remained. So you can imagine, now the Mitzvah were going to be totally starving. Pasag Yud Dalid, Vayal Ha'arba. Okay, look inside. I'm going to do it once and then I'm going to do it again for you to repeat it. Vayal Ha'arba and the Arba. The grasshoppers went up, Al Kol Eretz Mitzrayim, on the whole land of Mitzrayim. Vayonach, and they rested, Bechol Gevul Mitzrayim, in all the borders of Mitzrayim. Kavit Ma'od, very heavy. The fun of, before it, Loi Hayochin, there never was so. Arba Kamayhu, Arba like this. Viacharov, and after it, Loi Yiyechin, there will never be so. And now let's do it again. You repeat it after me and see if you could translate it. Vayal Ha'arba. Very good. The Arba went up. Al Kol Eretz Mitzrayim. On whole, all the land of Mitzrayim. Vayonach. And it rested. Menucha. To rest. Shabbos Menucha. The day of rest is Shabbos. So Vayonach. And it rested. Bechol Gvul Mitzrayim. In the whole borders of Mitzrayim. Kavid Ma'id. Very heavy. Lefanov. Before it, very good. Lehoyachain. Right, there never was so. Arbe kamayhu. Arbe like that. Ve'acharov. And after it, good. Lehoyachain. It will never be so. Okay, now we go to Pasik Tesvav. And we're going to have to look at the Rashi to find out, is that really a fact, that there was never any Arba? Well, of course it's a fact. If it says it in the Torah, it's 100% true. But we're going to have to take a look at a different time in history where it says that there was a very heavy plague of Arba, of grasshoppers and locusts that were eating up everything. And it says over there that they were the strongest. So let's take a look at that Rashi recording in Pasik Yodalid, if you want to find out the answer to how this was the worst mock of Arba ever. In the meantime, Pasik Tazvav, Vayichas is like the word schach, cover. Vayichas, and it covered as Ein Kol Haaretz, the eye of the whole land. Vatechshach Haaretz, and the earth became dark. Vayoichal, and it ate as Kol Esav Haaretz, all of the grass of the earth. Vies Kol Priha Eitz, and all of the fruits of the tree. Asher that. Haisir Habarad were left over from the Barad, Veloy Naisar, and it did not remain, Kol Yerek, any vegetation or any vegetable, anything that grew but ate on the tree, and on the grass of the field, the whole land of Mitzrayim, there was nothing, no, no greenery, nothing to be seen that you could eat from the trees. They were totally eaten up by the Arba. Pasik Tazvav, again. Vayichas, 
Very good. If you said, and it covered. As ain kol Yes, the eye of the earth, the eye of the land. Vatechshach ha'aretz. Good, like the shayrash of chayshach. And the earth became dark. Vayoychal. Good, and it ate. Kol esev All the grass of the earth. Vies kol priya ate. Good. All the fruits of the tree, Asher Hoysir Habarod, that remained from the Barad, and it did not remain. Kol Yarek Any vegetation on the tree, or in the grass, good, of the field, in the whole land of Mitzrayim. So those are today's Pesukim. Please call me in again and read them for me so you get your points. We're going to do the Mishnah's recording for today. We're going to begin Mishnah Zayin, in which we talk about how after Sukkot, on the last day, when they finished using their, their Lulavim and their Esraigim, they would keep them in the shul, and they would turn it kind of into a game for the fathers and sons, and it was like a keep-away kind of a game. Now, why did they do this? So one thing that we're learning from this Mishnah is to show you about Simchas Yamtif. Yamtif So we see that they would do this in order to increase the joy and make it fun. Another point that we see from over here is to distinguish the difference between the things that are used for an actual mitzvah and the things that are just used for chinuch. When we say just used for chinuch, it doesn't mean that that's just a, a small thing. It's a big thing. It's a great mitzvah that a kid takes a lulav and an esrog. But at the same time, when a kid is using his lulav and his esrog, it's not the same level of uh, mitzvah as when a grown-up does, because when the grown-up uses it, then he actually did the bracha on it, and that was a mitzvah, and therefore it can't be treated afterwards in a regular way. It would become shameless. But the kid who shook the lulav and the esrog with his own lulav and esrog, it didn't have the same level of kedusha if no grown-ups used it, let's say, just a kid. So therefore, the fathers could grab them away and they could bite into the esrog. And that's what they would do. And they would grab away the lulavim. And this is what Mishnah Zion tells us. And I will go ahead and read it for you once and then we'll go over it again tomorrow and practice it. Miyad hatinaikes, from the hands of the children. Shaimtim as lulavehem. They would grab their lulavim and eat their esregim. It's a really short Mishnah. It's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven words. So let's do it again, and you'll become a pro. Good, from the hands of the children. They would grab the lulavim, and they would eat their esregim. To be continued tomorrow. Wishing you a fantastic day. So we're continuing with the story. Rabbi Weinfeld was busy in the kitchen and he was trying to make the most delicious kokosh cake to bring it to Shimon. And he was going to bring it to him. The whole Sunday he was busy making the banquet that he was really primarily there for to make sure everything was kosher according to the proper standards. And then in between, when he had a few seconds, he started getting busy in the kitchen. Hey, Rabbi, what you doing here? I'm trying to make a cake. Well, what are you making a cake for? That's our job. You're just supposed to make sure it's kosher. 
No, but you don't understand. I want to make the most delicious uh, cocos cake. I need to make a very, very delicious cocos cake. It's so yum. It's like a delicious babke, but we're going to make it. I have a friend. I need to bring him. Oh, okay, Rabbi. Uh, okay, well, if you want spaghetti, we've got some also. No, I don't need the spaghetti, just the cocos cake. He spent his time making this very, very perfect cocos cake. Imagine this important rabbi busy baking a cake. Well, in any case... That's what a chassid will do. He'll go to whatever extreme he needs to go to to help another Jew do a mitzvah. And in this case, help many, many yidin do a mitzvah. Finally, he left the hall. And it was already late. It was like 7 o'clock towards the evening, nighttime. And before he drove, drove home, he decided now is his chance. He had that address, like I said yesterday, to Mr. Bergstein's apartment where he lived in Manhattan. And he decided to go and make a surprise visit. And so he pulls up in his broken down nice rabbi car and he tries to find the parking spot in the bottom of the uh, fancy, fancy skyscraper that he's pulling into. And the guy there who works in the garage, yo man, yo man, what you bring your car in here for, man? Yo man, this is not the junkyard, man. This is where we, we park the fancy cars. No, you don't understand. I need to visit a friend of mine. What? You got a friend that lives over here, man? Are you sure you got the right place? Of course, of course. I have a very good friend, Mr. Sam Shimon Shmuel. I don't know his name. Mr. Bergstein. You don't even know his name, man. How could he be your friend? I'm telling you, he's my best friend. I don't know his name yet, but still, we're already very good friends. Rabbi, you're, you seem like an interesting dude, man. Okay, you park your car over there for a second. I'll, I'll call Mr. Bergstein. Is he expecting you? Is he expecting me? Of course he's expecting me. What do you think? He's not expecting me? Oh, I think he's expecting me. Yeah, tell him. Okay, man, I, I'm going to call him right now. Well, what, what should I tell him? Um, telling him the representative of the Jewish nation is here to speak to him. This is a good message. Okay, okay, man, I'll go do that right now. He gets on the phone. He calls Mr. Bergstein's uh, apartment. And Rabbi Weinfeld is listening, and he hears the guy saying, Yeah, yeah, uh, the representative of the Jewish nation. He's Yeah, he's right there. He's waiting for you. Mm-hmm. And he say he got a present for you or something? I don't know what's in his hand, but... Uh-huh. Okay, okay. I'll tell him. Uh, he hangs up the phone. Mr. Bergstein say he, he he don't know who you are, the president of the Jewish nation or something like that, but uh, he's busy right now. He'll be on his way down in a little bit. Rabbi Weinfeld says, you know what, I, I don't have a chance. This is the only chance that I have to meet this Yiddish guy. And if I'm going to leave now, he probably want me to leave, but I'm not going to leave. I'm going to stay right over here. Anyways, he decides he's going to wait downstairs by the elevators because Mr. Bergstein says he's going to come down. And he takes out a Tehillim and he starts saying Tehillim. And he says to the guard, I hope you're not going to mind if I'm going to stand over here just to quietly say my prayers. Don't worry, I'm not going to bother you. And if Mr. Bergstein said to me that I must leave, I will leave. Oh uh, man, okay, as long as you don't bother nobody. You're not going to be bringing in any more junk cars, are you? No, just one car is enough for me. Uh, okay, he's saying to him, and he's quietly, you know, 
being nice, not bothering anybody. And all of a sudden, the elevator opens up. And sure enough, he sees, looks like none other than Mr. Bergstein. Now, he's walking out of the elevator together with his wife and some other people. They're all dressed fancy. And he can tell that they're going out somewhere. And they're walking quickly towards the car. And Mr. Rabbi Weinfeld puts down his tehillim, he puts it in his pocket, and he says, Mr. Bergstein, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I have a present for you on behalf of the Jewish nation. Uh, what are you talking about? A present for me on behalf of the Jewish nation? Yes, I'm bringing you this delicious kokosh cake. And with that, he presents him a delicious looking kokosh cake. I think you're going to like it. Uh, that's very nice of you, but um, I am quite busy right now. Uh, and Rabbi, really, what can I do to help you? Listen, Mr. Bergstein, I understand you're very busy. I don't want to bother you to take too much time, but I'm telling you, can you please do a favor to the Jewish nation? I'm asking you, how would you like to help every single Jewish person in the whole world? Can you do that? Now, Mr. Bergstein was caught off guard. So, uh, do a favor for all the Jewish nation? Uh, is it a donation? Call my office tomorrow. Ah, Rabbi Weinfeld already knew if he's going to say right away chametz and this and that, he would get a turn down. He said, no, 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 it's not a donation. It is something. Oh, is it about the kosher thing and Passover? I've already said a lot of times. No, 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 Mr. Bergstein, you don't understand. It's not like that. I will explain you the whole situation. And it's, it's not going to be a problem for your company. I could make sure we do it according to the right way. You feel very comfortable. Rabbi, I've been down this road a lot of times. I, I don't have time right now. Okay, okay, so when you have time, I, I will be I'm going out. If you want to talk to me when I get back, well, then uh, good luck. But I'm going out right now. I'm going to go out to the restaurant with my family. Okay, it's not the problems. I will wait here until you come back and we will talk. I don't want to take your time. Have a nice time. Uh, okay, Rabbi. And Mr. Bergstein walks off with the kokosh cake, of course, and he goes into his fancy, fancy car and he zooms off to go to his restaurant. Now Rabbi Weinfeld says, if he's going to stop now, he's never going to end up getting back in touch with this guy. If he tries to call him tomorrow, he'll speak to the secretary, and he'll be hung up on, and this and that. But he decides, you know what? He's already halfway there. He's not going to give up. So guess what? So he says to the guy in the office, in the garage, he says to the guy, you're not going to mind if I'm going to wait over here a little longer until Mr. Bergstein is going to come back. I'm not going to bother nobody. If you tell me to leave, I will leave. But he said I could wait till he comes back, right? So I'm going to wait. And boom, with that, he took out his Tehillim and he sat back down on the bench and he began to say more Tehillim. 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40. Yo, man, are you going to stay all night? No, I'm just going to stay until Mr. Bergstein comes back. An hour goes by, an hour and a half. Almost two hours. Yo, man, what are you going to do? You sleep on the bench? Are you homeless? I am not homeless. I'm waiting for Mr. Bergstein. He's not homeless, right? This is his home. He will come back. Well, when he comes back, I'm going to talk to him. And just then, as the guard is starting to get a little nervous, a car pulls up, and out comes none other than Mr. Bergstein. Mr. Bergstein gets out of the car, and before he can even start to yell, 
and scream, what are you still doing over here? Rabbi Weinfeld goes over to him with a big smile, Sholem Aleichem, Mr. Bergstein, I hope I didn't ruin your meals. Don't worry, I told you, I am going to wait for you. It's not a problem. Wow, Rabbi, I don't think I've ever met somebody who is so determined like you. Look, Rabbi, are you serious? You really want to do this? Like I said, it's not for me. It's for all the Jewish nation that everybody should know that the chomets was sold and nobody will buy a beer or a mashke that was used by a person that was a Yiddish guy that owned it on Pesach. I can't explain the whole thing right now. Please, Mr. Bergstein, do this mitzvah for the whole Jewish nation. Mr. Bergstein couldn't believe it. He saw his determination. He saw his sincerity. And it says, words that come from your heart go into your heart. And he saw this chassid, this shliach, this rabbi, who wasn't getting paid to do this. He was doing this simply to help another Jew and to help many Jewish people. And he was so impressed. He said, you know what, Rabbi Weinfeld, tomorrow I'm going to make a meeting with you. And if you can explain it to me, how it can be done in a way that won't jeopardize my business or put me in any uncomfortable situation, then I'll do it. And sure enough, the next day, Rabbi Weinfeld came to his office and he was able to explain him the whole procedure and to show him the star and have him look it over with a lawyer in a way that Mr. Bergstein found it to be a comfortable situation for him and how he understood that he would really be selling his chametz to a guy, but he could get it back at the end and he really would get it back and the guy would not steal his whole company, but it would still be a true sale. And in the end, Rabbi Weinfeld was able to help Mr. Bergstein to sell his comments for the first time in who knows how many years that it was sold according to Halacha and he actually helped Mr. Bergstein put on tefillin and from then on they became very good friends and uh, perhaps I'll put a picture of the two of them. It's a true story and since then they've become good friends and he sells his chametz every year and a lot of people in New York and in New Jersey, they know of this wonderful company, the New the Manhattan Beer Co. and their whole story of how they began to keep Pesach according to Halacha and I'll put a picture on the uh, classroom drive so you can see Rabbi Weinfeld putting on tefillin and giving a matzah to Mr. Bergstein. Okay, until tomorrow, have a great day.